Hello, and welcome to another ABI podcast. I'm Amy Quackenboss, the Deputy Executive Director of the American Bankruptcy Institute. Today, I'm joined by Joe Bodoff. Joe is a partner in the Boston office of Rubin and Rudman, where his practice concentrates on representing creditor and creditors committees in Chapter 11 reorganizations, out-of-court workouts, and litigation related to financially troubled businesses. He is a past member of ABI's Board of Directors and Executive Committee and a former co-chair of ABI's Unsecured Trade Creditors Committee. Joe is the author of ABI's newest publication, the sixth edition of the very popular Creditors Committee Manual, which we'll discuss today during our podcast. So welcome, Joe, and thanks for joining me today to discuss your new book. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. The irony of this, Joe, we were just talking, is that the the new book is really an old book, um, and the original version of the book, uh, we believe, may be one of the first that ABI published. So you um, worked on that book with several other members of the ABI Unsecured uh, Trade Creditors Committee over 20 years ago. Um, Why did you originally write this book, and who was your intended audience? Well, at the time, uh, there was no publication that uh, told committee members how a committee functioned in a Chapter 11 case and the rights and responsibilities of each of the members. Uh, what we were finding was that inexperienced members of the committee often relied on what they were told by committee counsel and members of the committee who had some experience in serving on committees. Uh, with little or no other information to guide them, the inexperienced members' participation on the committee was often reduced as, and they became somewhat passive participants. Our intention was to draft a manual that contained basic information about how Chapter 11 worked, how committees operated, and the rights and responsibilities of committee members. We wanted the manual to be in plain English, and to that extent, we were greatly helped by the credit manager members of the committee who kept telling us lawyers that we needed to speak in real English. Uh, We wanted the manual to be distributed to newly formed committees by the U.S. Trustee's Office, and when we wrote the manual, uh, we sought the input from U.S. trustees and bankruptcy judges. Uh, Both uh, groups were very helpful in um, uh, getting uh, the information correct and also making sure that it was not only correct for a particular court, but would be correct for all courts, so we weren't saying something that might be applicable to one court and not to another. Uh, So the manual reflects not only the original work of our 15-member task force, but also the input of U.S. trustees and judges. Joe, you last updated this book 10 years ago to address the changes to bankruptcy law brought by BAPSIPA. So why update it again now? Well, Chapter 11 practices changed significantly in the last 10 years. Uh, Whereas 10 years ago, a typical case would involve a business operating for several months in Chapter 11, followed by a plan of reorganization that contemplated the business continuing to operate under the same corporate form post-confirmation, we are seeing more and more cases in recent years where the Chapter 11 debtor seeks to sell its assets at the outset of the case, leaving little to be dealt with in the plan of reorganization itself. While it was always important for a committee to get involved early in the case, the trend towards selling the company's assets at the outset makes it even more critical that a committee get up to speed early and deal with the various issues involved in a sale. So the manual discusses the ways in which a committee can participate in a sale, including quickly gathering information about the value of the assets to be sold, the debtor's previous attempts to sell the assets, the need to sell the assets at the outside of the case if the debtor, for example, 
can't demonstrate that that there's a, a, a need to do it then, then maybe the sale shouldn't occur. Other things that the committee could do is uh, obtain information about the purchasers and alternatives to the sale, maybe even take a look to see whether the assets are being sold to insiders and whether whether it really is an arm's length transaction. Uh, the committee may want to hire appraisers and investment bankers to assist it, uh, may even want to object to the sale in its entirety. One of the things that often happens is that the debtor proposes a sale um, of all or virtually all of its assets, and all or virtually all of the proceeds are earmarked for the secured lender. Committees have been very effective in increasing the distribution to unsecured creditors in those situations. So if I'm an unsecured creditor and my customer has filed bankruptcy and I've been asked to serve on the creditors committee, what things should I really know and consider before I agree to serve? Uh, well, the first thing is to understand that there's a time commitment involved. Uh, um, the um, Each case is different so that the amount of time commitment will be different. Uh, in a well-functioning committee, there will be meetings to attend and decisions to make. Uh, fortunately, these days, uh, committee meetings are often held by telephone, which reduces the time commitment somewhat. I can say in the past, uh, most meetings were held in person, and the, and the uh, uh, the fact that these meetings are now held by telephone, I think, makes it much easier for committee members. Uh, if you do have the time, I'd encourage you to participate. Uh, the committee is one of the key players in a Chapter 11 case. In my view, it's the uh, one entity that really makes Chapter 11 function uh, for the creditors, or for the unsecured creditors. Uh, your involvement will help shape how unsecured creditors are to be treated in a plan, uh, uh, from the very beginning of the case uh, through that ultimate determination, whether it be a plan of reorganization or some other means as to how creditors end up getting paid. Uh, whatever the outcome of the case, you should consider participating simply because the information you will obtain about the business, about the industry, and about how the Chapter 11 process works. Uh, uh, I've spoken to a number of of committee members uh, who have participated on well-functioning committees, and they have uh, uh, been very found it very valuable. Uh, uh, committees that don't function so well, uh, the committee member may walk away feeling uh, less satisfied. But I think all in all, just getting a, an insider's look of what went wrong with the business and and how the Chapter 11 process deals with that and how it may affect them would be invaluable to most uh, people that participate. So as a trade creditor, um, I may or may not have hired an attorney um, when I found out uh, my customer went bankrupt or is filing for bankruptcy. Um, will I be reimbursed for my attorney's fees, or how about my travel expenses for court appearances or committee meetings? Well, uh, the, the, sh the short answer is you will not be reimbursed for your own attorney's fees, uh, but you can be reimbursed for your out-of-pocket expenses, your travel expenses being a key component to it. Uh, the committee will likely hire an attorney and possibly an accountant and other professionals, and they're entitled to be paid as an administrative expense out of the bankruptcy estate. It's just that your own personal attorney is not entitled to be paid in the usual circumstance. There are some limited circumstances where that might occur uh, if your attorney has contributed in, in some extraordinary way to uh, advance the case. Uh, 
uh, there are some circumstances where they might uh, get reimbursed or you might be reimbursed for those expenses, but that typically isn't the case, and you shouldn't count on being reimbursed for the attorney's fees. So as a committee member, I'll work with the uh, attorney hired for the committee, and you outline a few factors in the manual to consider when a committee engages professionals. Um, so can you talk about a few of those factors that they want to consider, not only just attorneys, but other types of professionals? Uh, yes. I, I think the most important thing is for the committee members to make an informed judgment about who they hire. Uh, there's nothing magical about this, and what we have found is that somehow when they get to the committee process, uh, a, a member might treat the hiring of a professional differently than they would if they were trying to hire someone for themselves personally or for their business. It, it's really no different. They should treat the hiring of committee counsel, committee accountants, any professional hired by the committee uh, the same as they would if they were hiring an attorney for their own personal affairs or their own business affairs. Uh, so what is it that you look for? Um, uh, to me, the most important factors are I want to know the attorney's knowledge of Chapter 11. I want to know about the attorney's experience in the industry that we're dealing with in this Chapter 11 case, the attorney's experience in representing committees. Um, I also really want to get a sense as to whether the attorney will work for and listen to the committee or whether the attorney is going to do what he or she wants with little committee input. And I can say it, I found it to be very common in smaller cases where uh, committee counsel will just take over a case and do things and report back to a committee. It's not the way it should work. Uh, the attorney works for the committee. Uh, the committee is the client. Uh, the committee gets to say what the attorney does. Uh, the committee may also want to have some say over the amount of work the, the attorney puts in, uh, where the efforts are, where the money is spent, because ultimately at the end of the day, uh, the attorney's fees, uh, the fees of all the professionals in the case, are going to be paid ahead of the claims of the unsecured creditors and and uh, how the attorney handles the case and the expenses that are built up uh, may, uh, at in some measure, affect um, how the uh, creditors get paid, how the committee members get paid. And so what are the key parts of a Chapter 11 case that committee members will be expected to be involved in? Uh, the first thing to keep in mind is, is things can happen very quickly in a Chapter 11 case. The manual, uh, we, we have a section in there called uh, Critical First Stages, uh, which really discusses how a case can take off very quickly and how the committee can um, uh, must get up to speed. Uh, what's happening, at, particularly as the cases get larger, is we have a series of first-day motions. Now, some of those are more important than others, um, uh, some of them are fairly routine, and they get granted uh, uh, right away, and no one really cares that much about them. For example, you know, a motion as to whether you need to open up a separate debtor and possession account or some other minor procedural-type motion. Uh, but some of these motions that are filed early on in the case are really critical. Um, probably the most important is uh, the motion for debtor and possession financing. Um, 
or a motion to use cash collateral. Uh, and what ends up happening is this is the this is the motion that gets filed that often determines whether the debtor will be able to operate uh, in the Chapter 11 case because they're very much tied in with the debtor with whether the debtor has working capital. Um, and there is this tension of of does the debtor have the money and what's it costing the debtor to do that? And very often the lenders that are involved in either the uh, DIP financing motions or cash collateral motions are trying to get concessions at the very beginning of the case that can affect unsecured creditors. Um, anything from uh, how the plan is to be shaped to how the secured creditor is to be treated, and possibly in certain situations, or, or very often actually, a waiver of claims um, or releases being given to the secured creditor. Uh, it's really important uh, that when a committee gets involved, it understand what's going on with that motion and uh, what it is it might be able to do uh, to get the terms changed. And 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 committees are very useful, and I found um, have been very successful in at least getting uh, these changed to a certain extent. Uh, and it really depends on the lender. It depends on the situation. The other thing is this motion to sell assets. Uh, as they're happening early in the case, they become really, really critical uh, components of the case because once the assets are sold, uh, there's not a lot more to deal with. Sure, there are perhaps we might have causes of action lawsuits against uh, uh, different parties. There might, uh, but for the most part, the hard assets, the things that you that are, are saleable, are gone. They're they're converted to fiction. That's going to make up the bulk of, in most cases, what gets distributed. So that's really important. And the committee, as I mentioned earlier, can have a key role in in what's going on with the sale of those assets. Um, the obvious part is if you end up getting to a plan of reorganization, uh, and it doesn't happen in all cases, but that's the goal in all Chapter 11 cases is to have a plan. Uh, and the, the committee should have input into what the plan says uh, and what the disclosure statement says. And the disclosure statement is the document that explains the plan and gives the, the creditors the information they need to decide whether to vote for or against the plan. Uh, but the committee often is the party with whom the debtor will negotiate, and, and the debtor will often reach out to the committee and negotiate uh, the terms of how unsecured creditors are going to be treated under the plan. And that's a really important function of the committee, and the committee may also, in the end, um, send out a recommendation to creditors as to whether to vote for or against the plan. But you know, overall, uh, the, the, I think an important function for the creditors' committee is to be the watchdog for the unsecured creditors in the case. Uh, this is from the very beginning of the case to the very end of the case, and that means investigating uh, the debtors' affairs, understanding the history of the debtor, understanding how it got into trouble, understanding how it's going to get out of trouble, understanding its management, whether management needs to be replaced, monitoring the case 
during the chapter lesson, making sure the debtor's not losing money, making sure assets are not uh, being depleted, making sure the the assets are insured, uh, making sure that the debtor isn't involved in some self-dealing for its management may, when there may be other opportunities out there for unsecured creditors to be. In appropriate circumstances, the um, committee might move for the appointment of an examiner, might move for the appointment of a trustee, might move to convert the case to Chapter 11. Uh, it may want to take depositions. It may want to seek permission from the court to um, uh, file lawsuits uh, against insiders or others. Uh, the important thing is, I think, for the committee to stay involved, uh, to realize that it really is a, 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 a key player in the case, uh, to, to seize that opportunity to uh, engage and uh, uh, to do its best to make sure that the unsecured creditors uh, get the maximum return that they can uh, in the Chapter 11 case. Well, and I know the creditors committee manual really makes it a lot easier for um, and more comfortable, I think, for a trade creditor to serve on the committee because you've laid out really all the expectations and um, everything they should anticipate uh, in the manual. And the other thing I like about the book is that it's got a great glossary um, and it's written so that even folks not dealing with committees, lay people or people just getting into bankruptcy, attorneys just getting into bankruptcy, um, it's a really a great glossary for the key terms in a bankruptcy. Yes, uh, it, we want these are terms that a member of a committee will hear over and over again. Some of them are used in the manual, but many of them are it's it's just additional information for them. Um, we did write it in plain English, I think, as we were tasked to do, and hopefully it it it, it is understandable. Um, and I do think while the manual was intended for committee members, there's others with less experience uh, in Chapter 11 and creditors committees that can find the manual very useful. Yeah, well, thank you, Joe, for all your hard work on this book and for taking time to join us today for this podcast. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. And for those of you listening, if you're interested in purchasing the Creditors Committee Manual, and I'll note that they make great gifts for clients, um, visit ABI's website at abi.org. So thanks to everyone for listening, and we hope that you will join us for another ABI podcast soon. Take care and have a good day.